We're spending the next few weeks in the book of James, and we're asking the question that's on the screens, what's below the surface? There are things that we do because of our faith. There are things that people can see. We go to church. We do our best to put our best face forward. We put on that smile. We try to do the right things. We try to say the right things. But James calls us to look deeper and to ask the question, what's below the surface? Because if you take away the things that are above the surface, the things that can be seen, what depth of character, what depth of commitment is there that anchors us to Christ? The fact is, we don't always have to wonder what's below the surface because once in a while, that which is below the surface makes its way to the top. I love to fish. I don't get to go fishing like I used to, but I used to absolutely love going fishing. And it was a great way for me to get rid of some stress and some strain. And and years ago, there was this pond that I loved to go to, to go fishing. The owner of the pond uh, was a photographer, and he used that pond as landscaping to take a lot of his outdoor photos. And so he had beautiful flowers and trees. He had his beautiful lawn at one end and he had sculpted that pond so nicely so that he could have all this place all these places to take pictures I didn't care about that it was it was just great fishing there was a lot of bluegill in that pond there was a lot of crappie once in a while you'd even pull out a bass here and there it was a beautiful spot and when I when I got stressed and when I needed a little place of peace I would go there and I would enjoy the beauty one day I got to the pond and a couple friends of mine were out there already and something just seemed wrong when I got there. The, the water looked wrong. Definitely it all smelled wrong and they had a little more experience with fishing than I did and I, I just asked, what, what happened? What's gone on out here? And they told me the pond had turned over. Some of you, if you fish, you you know what that means. Uh, Every once in a while, a pond, even a lake, will turn over. What happens is the water temperature changes, and all of that stuff that's down below, everything that has rotted and decayed, all of that stuff makes its way to the top. All of that stuff that's been hidden below the surface it's suddenly there at the top and you can see it and you can smell it and here's what strikes me when i think about that though all of that decay all of that rot it had always been there it had always been below the surface now above the surface on the surface the pond looked beautiful it looked peaceful there were these beautiful flowers all around the pond there were these beautiful trees the landscaping had been done immaculately but all it took was a change in the weather just just a bad weather day to expose what had always been there under the surface does that sound familiar <laughs> Does that sound familiar? You know, you, you have that one bad day. Somebody says something, somebody does something, and you just snap and you lash out and you say things that you'll never get back in your mouth. It all comes out at once. And then afterwards you say something like, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, you do. And so what we have to admit to ourselves is we've got stuff below the surface, you and me. We've got stuff below the surface, and we'd just rather pretend it's not there. Like that old pond, sometimes it just bubbles up and those dead fish rise up here and there. But there's other times when, uh, when we get set off and it all comes up, it all comes out, and there's no hiding it from others, and there's no hiding it from ourselves. That's what James is getting at when we continue in through his letter and we meet him here in chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And James wastes no time getting to the heart of what's beneath the surface. Verse 19, he writes, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Every time I read those words, I think about a gentleman that I knew many years ago, and many of our friends here at Kansas Christian Church knew him. His name was Ralph Ellison. Ralph was one of our elders here at Kansas Christian Church, one of the men that ordained me into ministry. Ralph was a godly man. Ralph and his wife, Mildred, were wonderful people. Ralph was an elder. He was a leader in our church here at Kansas. But Ralph would tell you that he was not much of a speaker. Ralph was not a gifted speaker. He was not a gifted preacher. I remember as a child watching Ralph's communion meditations and listening to the communion meditations he would give. He would shake and shake while he was speaking, and it was difficult for him to say what he wanted to say. And yet he would be up there exposing himself to so much vulnerability but I remember something Ralph always said. Ralph always said, God gave me two ears and one mouth, and I'm supposed to listen twice as much as I talk. Isn't that great advice? I mean, I think maybe all of us ought to take advice like that. We appreciate that kind of wisdom. We appreciate the character of a man like Ralph Ellison, and we love that when we see it. But we look at ourselves, and we realize uh, that's not always who we are. And sometimes instead what we have is something rotten that comes out from underneath. Sometimes it bubbles up. Uh, and sometimes when it bubbles up, it looks and sounds like anger. Did you hear what James wrote in verse 20? He said, verse 19, he says, be slow to anger. And then verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You realize anger, something that a lot of people struggle with, a lot of us struggle with. Anger is what they call a secondary emotion, though. It's a secondary emotion. In other words, no one is angry just because they're angry. You're angry because something has happened. You're angry because something has stirred you, something has affected you. Anger is a response. It is not who you are. When you see someone who's angry, when you hear someone who's angry, 
One of the things you've got to realize is they've learned that anger protects them. Maybe you've learned that anger protects you. Anger is there to cover up something because there's something beneath the surface that needs to be covered up. And so anger covers that. Now, more often than not, what, what we're covering over, what we're covering over is fear. What we're covering over is the fear that we're going to be attacked, that we're going to be offended, the fear that we're going to find ourselves trapped or we're going to be pressured into something. You see, those are primary emotions. But when those emotions are intense enough, anger bubbles up from underneath, comes out and tries to cover them up. Now, ah, you know, once in a while, once, once in a great while, I get something right. <laughs> Just every now and then, I, I get something right. I, I really do try. I got to tell you, there, there have been times in my life when people have said just some very ugly things to me. I've had people say just some of the ugliest and angriest things to me. And, and yes, it, it hurts. And yes, I find myself putting up a wall when that happens. But once in a while, I catch myself. Once in a while, I'm able to think through that. And every now and then, I've been able to say to that person who's saying something very angry at me, I've been able to say, that doesn't sound like you. Can you tell me what's really going on? Can you tell me what's really happening with you? And when I've done that, when I've been able to do that, what I've found is that we get to the heart of it, and what's underneath that anger is usually fear fear of losing control. Sometimes it's fear of losing influence. Sometimes it's fear of getting older. Sometimes it's fear of the future and not knowing exactly where we're going, where our world is going, where the church is going. Verse 21, James says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We need to hear that for ourselves to be sure, but we also need to hear that for other people. We need to hear that verse for others. Let's, let's be there for others. Let's be there to plant something better deep within. Let's be there to allow something that's going to take root and, and save their souls to be planted within them. It might seem like the answer to anger is simply, well, then just don't get angry. <laughs> don't, don't feel anything. Just, just become numb and don't feel it anymore. But that's not helpful and that is not James's point here. That advice doesn't do anyone any good. Instead, the call is for us to plant something good below the surface, and then allow that something good to bubble up. We went to the Botanical Gardens in, in St. Louis a few years ago. It's a beautiful place. If you've been to the Botanical Gardens, or well, even if you've been to a pond that someone owns and, and that they manage, they don't just leave it there, but they actually take care of the pond, every now and then you'll see they have fountains, and every now and then you'll notice they have aerators, and there are bubbles going through that. That's not just because fountains are pretty and that the aerators and the bubbles are pretty. The, the lesson that people have learned is that if you constantly oxygenate the water, if you're constantly filling the water with more oxygen, it prevents 
turnover. You won't have the pond turnover like it did to me that one time. And the reason is that underneath, beneath the surface, there is now oxygen. And that means that the underneath remains healthy, and therefore the top of the pond can remain healthy. Hear that in James's words here. Hear that in what he writes in verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The answer to our anger is not biting our lip. The answer is not smacking yourself when you feel that anger coming on, when you feel it rising. Remember, anger is secondary. The answer is filling yourself with something that's of value putting something deep inside you that that actually has value. Verse 23, he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He compares hearing the word, hearing the word, but, uh, but lacking obedience with looking into a mirror and then forgetting what you look like. This might require a bit of explanation. Maybe you realize this, but mirrors back then were not mirrors like we have today. The mirrors we have today give you a near-perfect reflection. They're made of glass. They've got silver on the back. Uh, they, they give you a near-perfect reflection. In James's day, in the first century, mirrors were usually made of highly polished brass, which meant that the image was dark. It, it wasn't a perfect image. It was also distorted because you can imagine even if you polish that brass very carefully, you're still going to have streaks. You're still going to have Mars in it. The other thing is that mirrors were not readily available to everyone. Today, I can pick up my cell phone and I can check my face and make sure nothing's in my teeth and make sure my hair and my beard are perfect. You can do the same thing. You walk into a store. They've got mirrors, right? They've got mirrors in the clothing stores. They've got mirrors here. You're walking down the street. You can look in the windows, and you can check your look in the, in the windows. You can check your look in the mirrors. Mirrors were not readily available. You might only get to look at your reflection in a mirror maybe once a month, maybe not even that often. Very often, you would have to borrow a mirror in order to check. And when you checked it, you weren't just looking to see if your hair was perfect and if your smile was right. You were using the mirror diagnostically. You were checking to make sure that that cut on your forehead wasn't getting infected. If you had a bad tooth, you were wanting to find exactly which tooth it was. You had to pay attention and you had to remember because you weren't going to be able to look later, where was that cut? Where was that lump? Where was that problem? So that you could take care of that when you finally got back home or when you got someplace where you could, you could take care of that. Mirrors weren't there to show you just how pretty you were. They were there to diagnose what was wrong. <sighs> Honestly, this can be one of the most humbling and frustrating elements of preaching. One of the most humbling and frustrating aspects of preaching there is. You know, I get you <laughs> for maybe 20 minutes, maybe a little bit longer during the week, 
And again, as I mentioned last week, statistically, most people who consider themselves to be regular church attenders, they're only attending maybe one out of three weeks at the most. What kind of influence can I have ultimately? Remember, uh, what, what kind of influence, what kind of potential is there to remember the message, to, to let the message have an impact? The best I can do is hope to encourage you, to encourage you to read the scripture, to encourage you to apply it on your own, to encourage you to learn a little bit more and to, to go a little bit deeper on your own, doing the work below the surface and looking intently into the word and learning where you need to apply it. That's James' call for us, to hold the Word of God up to your life and look intently into it and say, what do I need? Where do I have a lack? Where is there an area that I need to pay attention to? What do I need to clean? What do I need to do to take care of my soul so that I can be healthy? The promise for us is that if we take that kind of care, there is a blessing. But get this. It's not just a blessing for you. It's a blessing for the community. It's a blessing for the community of doing the word. The way that you do the word of God blesses other people. Jesus said, himself said, that it's, it's how we build something that stands firm in the tests of life and stands firm in the storms that we encounter. This whole passage is like holding a mirror up to our hearts and asking us to check who we reflect. Check who you reflect. When I reflect on the Word of God, what do I see? Do I see my anger? Do I see my fear? Do I see my emptiness when I look at the Word of God? Or do I see my great desire is to reflect the image of Jesus in my life? That the way that I respond to the Word of God not only shows that I'm listening, but that I am being blessed and that I am blessing others, that it blesses me for doing the Word, that it blesses others as I apply the Word. That's where James takes us as we seek to apply this passage. Verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Everything he's written in this passage really takes us back to verse 19. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. If those words are going to have any meaning to us, if they're going to be meaningful to us, then we have to do something with them. We have to allow them to change us. And when they change us, they're going to change our world they're going to change the way that we care for other people. He lays it out again in the most practical terms available. He talks about the impact that we make on the lives of people who are hurting, the widows, the orphans, really those that have no one else to care for them. And he calls us to ask ourselves, are we caring for them? And you hear the contrast that runs all through this passage. Verse 20, he says that that anger does not produce 
the righteousness of God. Verse 26, he tells us that our lack of control is worthless, but caring for others, that is pure, that is undefiled. It doesn't just impact you, it impacts those around you. Check who you reflect. Do you see Jesus in your reflection? Do you see Jesus when you reflect on your faith, when you reflect on your actions? And, well, do others see Jesus? And again, you read the words of James, and you might hear echoes of his big brother. As I mentioned last week, James is believed to have been the younger brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary. And reading these words from James here, I, I can't help but think of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 through 40. He said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. When you extend care to the least of these, widows, orphans, the helpless, the hurting, the forgotten, we not only help them, but we bring Christ into their lives. We bring Christ into our lives. Check who you reflect. James gets deep below the surface, and he calls us to ask some very important questions of ourselves. When that anger bubbles up to the surface, is that anger helping me? Is it drawing me closer to God? Is it producing the righteousness that I need in my lives? Is it enabling others to see Christ, to see Jesus in me? But I think the biggest question for us comes in that last verse. Who is this helping? Who am I helping? Who is seeing Christ better through me? I want us to keep two thoughts in front of us this year, and especially through this James series. Both of the thoughts come from Jesus. Both of the thoughts are probably very familiar to many of you, and one of them is a question that you've likely heard before. Who is my neighbor? Who is someone in my life, who is someone in my world that knows they can rely on me, that knows I care about them, or maybe the question should be, who is someone who should know they can rely on me? And the other is a statement from Jesus. As you have done it to the least of these, the least of these, the one needing care, the one needing help, the one needing to know the presence of Jesus, the one needing you to bring his love, to bring his care to them, to their lives, James identifies widows and orphans in those categories, but let's not just look to the specifics. Uh, let's see the broader identification. It's a call to look after the lonely. 
It's a call to look after the forgotten, those who are sitting alone, those who are eating alone, those with no support, those with no help. That deep work being done under the surface, so often, so often that deep work is felt in the dark corners of our world by those who are abandoned. Check who you reflect. Check who you reflect. Look, look for moments to lay aside that anger. Look for moments to embrace Jesus. Look deep within yourself and recognize the need to implant something of value, not only, not only to bless you, but to bless the least of these. Let Jesus shine in the way that you reflect him in our world. We come to the table. We come for an opportunity for us to encounter Jesus. We come realizing that in some way, when we come to him, when we come to the bread, we come to the cup, we encounter Jesus in a very real and special way. Someone this week needs to encounter Jesus. They may not be at our table. They might be at your table. It might be someone that you just meet on the street. It might be someone that you encounter at home or at work. Let's make sure they meet Jesus when they encounter us. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for the promise that we can know you, that we can know your son. We thank you that as we come to the table, as we take the bread, as we take the cup, we know that we're not alone. We know that in a very real way, your presence is here. And we also know that we're surrounded whether we're in person or if we're online, we are surrounded with people that love us and care for us, people that would be there to be our neighbors, people who would take care of any need we have. Lord, there's people in our world that don't know that. We might know them, but they don't know that we would be there for them. And so I pray this week that we could find those that might be considered the least of these, that we can extend a hand of friendship, that we can be the neighbors they need us to be that we can show them the love of Christ. I pray that our attitudes and our actions, the things that we do and the things that we say, would reflect the presence of your Son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. God bless and go in peace.